she had an amazing childhood. And, and it's kind of like the irony, the juxtaposition of the girl who seemingly had everything, who became an Olympic champion, and the girl born without legs actually had the better life. This is episode 36, part B of Pursuing Health with Olympic gold medal winning gymnast Dominique Luciano. Um, and and you talk a lot about this and a lot, a lot about what goes on behind the scenes. And I think you've been really pioneer, sort of a pioneer <laughs> as far as telling the truth and really opening people's eyes to what does go on behind the scenes. And you've seen, we've seen some other gymnasts come yeah. forward and talk about their experience as well and, and how you have sort of given them permission to do that or been that person that, you know, they know they can go to for advice or to, to tell things that they maybe wouldn't tell other people. Um, why is that, what, what first inspired you to, to do that? And why is it so important for you? Oh, you know, I would say I was living in the same fear as a lot of these gymnasts for a long time. I was so scared to speak my truth. Mm -hmm. I was scared of being ostracized. I was scared of having people say nasty comments who didn't even know me who say things to you that they don't even know your situation. Right. I decided when I was going to write my book, it was a seven-year process. It was hard. I was sitting at the computer oftentimes crying, just letting out all the pain and yeah. all the hurt because I kept it in. There were some nights I cried myself to sleep because I was so sad. And I'm like, why is there this void? Like, why do I feel this pain that's so deep? It's cuts. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to go to do unhealthy things to, for that pain, which a lot of people do. And I did. There were times where I did a little bit, but I was able to get that under control yeah. and not go off really, really bad. Um, and then Mike came into my life. You know, I was 19. And from 17 to 19, where I would say kind of my darker years, where mm-hmm. I just wanted to not think. I didn't right. want to think anymore of how hurt I was. I, I didn't even want to be around the sport. Mm-hmm. They were judgmental. As soon as I gained weight, you're too fat. You're not good enough. It was always something. You're never good enough. Mm -hmm. And I just needed to break free from that because I started little by little to realize, like, why do you have so much power over how I feel about myself? Mm -hmm. Why, Why have I psychologically let you guys manipulate me that much? I don't want to be that person anymore. I don't want to be miserable. I don't want to be sad. I don't want to be depressed. I don't want to be those things. Mm -hmm. And I have to find a way to break free from that. So cut the people out that hurt me. Mm -hmm. Start talking about my past and my pain. And once I felt like opening up with my book was like the best healing Mm. that I could ever have. Mm -hmm. You know, for some people, it's going to talk to someone privately. For other people, it's talking about it to friends, opening up that that actually existed in your life. Mm -hmm. Because you can't move past that point and heal if you don't talk about it. So you can get it off of your chest. And for me, I had so much pent up here over everything that I had been through I needed to release it in order to heal Mm -hmm. and move forward. And I could help others. And I thought, well, this is going to be a turning point. I said, because the governing body is going to shun me for the rest of my life, unless there's new leadership that really understands and actually wants to use me as a liaison to help better the sport. Mm -hmm. So for a while with the same people in charge, they're going to shun me and it's not going to be fun. And they'll look me look at me with an awkward eye and I'm not going to be welcome. So that was kind of a hard thing when I knew that I was right and I didn't do anything wrong, but that people are going to accuse you and be nasty to you all because you're speaking the truth. Mm -hmm. I had to be okay with that. That's not easy to be okay with because after I had been treated so badly in so many areas, then to continue to be treated badly in my adult years, it just... It wasn't good. Um, but I, I think you talked about, too, um, just when you talk about like how warped your perception was, mm-hmm. how even at the Olympics, winning your gold medal and feeling right. empty and not mm-hmm. feeling like you really were happy with how you did, even right. though you were an Olympic champion and you had achieved your dream right. um, because you felt you had disappointed your coaches or disappointed mm-hmm. your parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just how warped that perception was and how you, it was almost like during those crucial years then going on, even as you were older and mm-hmm. still transitioning coaches and environments and being unstable at home, ultimately emancipating from your parents. Mm-hmm. It's, it's 
crazy for me to think about exactly what went on during that almost 10 year period of your life when most kids are going to middle school, going to mm-hmm. high school, like maybe thinking about college mm-hmm. in a much more stable situation. Right. Um, and for you to finally break free from that and say, okay, all of these people that I thought I had to please and that I had to, you know, that were tied to my happiness, mm-hmm. I'm actually going to, you know, step away and say, what's actually best for me and like, who am I and what, um, what really happened there? <laughs> yes. Well, and that was why I ended up writing the book. It mm-hmm. was a chance for me to have an introspective look at my life and go through it, you know, challenge by challenge, cry at the computer if I needed to when I was getting it out, mm-hmm. release that stress and that sadness and that hurt mm-hmm. and start to move forward and realize that the very people that I allowed to have such control and power over how I felt about mm-hmm. myself didn't care about me one bit. <laughs> and it was so freeing to break free and know that I didn't need their approval in my life anymore. And that's, it's a hard thing to do. I was a people pleaser. I right. wanted that approval. I wanted my parents' approval. And my mom, she always gets kind of lumped in. She tried her best and my dad did too. He was temperamental and had a violent temper. But I realized when I got older that his father was very much like that. Mm -hmm. And he didn't have a good, loving relationship with his father. So you always kind of figure out, like, where things stem from. And that's where I was trying to kind of go with my book and my life. And I didn't want, because I could have been very, very harsh, even more. But but that wasn't my goal with the book. It was just to show the way things happened. Mm -hmm. I wanted to display it and present it as this is how it happened. This is how I felt. Mm -hmm. Now you can make your own assessment because I needed to heal. I wasn't out to, oh, I'm going to be vindictive because there was a publishing house that was like, well, I want you to do a tell all about the Crowleys. I'm like, I'm not doing that. I could, but I'm not. That's not who I am. I'm not going out to just be vicious. I'm doing this to heal Mm -hmm. and you either are a part of that or not. And I had to go with people who understood that and Mm -hmm. really felt moved by my story just as it was. Mm -hmm. Um, And so through that process and that introspective look and going through all those things, I started to realize like where things were happening in my life and why those things were kind of spiraling out of control and what the stem root of it was and finally being able to articulate it Mm because you don't know in those young years how do I articulate this stuff all I know is I'm feeling pain all I know is I'm feeling a void all I know is I'm unhappy like why I have all the success Mm -hmm. I have this gold medal yet I can't even be allowed to be happy that's Mm -hmm. just such a weird thing to comprehend and all those years I was like why was it so hard for me to watch gymnastics after I stopped why could I why was I in tears every time I didn't even want to watch because I couldn't Mm -hmm. after 96 and then in 2000. And then, of course, I watched 2004 a little bit more and 2008 more. And then, you know, every Olympics, Mm -hmm. it's like an exciting time in our house now. But I had to get over those things and realize what was the stem root and why did I allow it to have power over me? And I'm never going to allow that kind of hurt and those people that are not important in my life to have that power and control and Mm -hmm. steal my joy. I mean... When you think about it, it's so crazy to anybody else who didn't live it. Right. They're like, how could you not be happy? You won a gold medal. And I was like, well, it's complicated because it <laughs> is. Read the book. <laughs> exactly. And that's the only way I could yeah. I could tell people about how it went because I'm like, there's so much that was going on. It's not just a sound bite. Right. It, it, it's so much more. It's over time. It's over years. It's over so many different experiences that I grew to feel this way and, and this hurt. But over time, I found healing. I found love. I found Mike. Mike opened that new world up to me that I never knew existed because mm-hmm. For so long, the two main male role models in my life were my father and Bella. And these, obviously, these coaches, these male coaches who came in and out for shorter periods. But at the time where I needed these these men to be role models in my life, they were failing me. Mm -hmm. And I was disappointed with them. And they were hurting me. And I didn't quite understand. Why Mm -hmm. are you acting like this? Like, what is it? Why are you being like that just to me? And so... 
I started to just step away from everybody. And that's, you know, why I got emancipated. That's why I needed to kind of get control of my life. And then when Mike came into my life at about 19, I was still kind of broken. Yeah. I wasn't whole yet. I wasn't at peace yet. I wasn't fully me. I was overweight um, because I was sad and I was eating unhealthy. And I didn't find, I couldn't figure out still at that time why mm -hmm. I was hurt. Mm -hmm. Here I was in the grandest stage in the world, competed as a 14 year old, and I was able to handle that pressure. Now, why can't I, you know, figure out what's going on? Mm -hmm. Like, why do I feel these feelings? And they're so hard for me to overcome. Well, because a lot happened. And I never went to talk to somebody about it, but I talked to Mike and I ended up almost, he knew without ever knowing. It was mm -hmm. kind of crazy um, in the sense that how could Mike know all of these things without really knowing? He's mm -hmm. like, I knew what you went through without even knowing every detail. I don't need to know every detail. He's like, cause you don't have to relive it. But, but he, he knew and he seemed to know without me telling him. And that was just really such a, magical connection mm -hmm. because when you can have a significant other to understand what you went through and not really know everything but mm -hmm. understand it because he knew the sport so well and he yeah. followed my career from afar but he was so intuitive and he's so smart that he was able to with his intellect put the pieces together he's like well why else would you have left when you were 70 I mean who leaves home like that right. I mean clearly there are whispers in the gymnastics community that life was tough for me and he you know he'd heard some things but little by little, he helped me patch up my wounds mm -hmm. and finally, you know, sold little pieces of my heart back <laughs> together. And I mean, I attribute a lot of my healing to him too, because he helped me find that unconditional love. And not that it was like performance based or it was because I had to please this person. He's, and he is the one telling me like they, they were wrong. Mm -hmm. And I'd never had anyone say that in my life that wow. they were wrong. Mm -hmm. You were not wrong. And I was like, that's what I've always felt. But nobody told me that. Mm -hmm. It was always, I'm the one supposed to feel guilty. I'm the one supposed to carry that the rest of my life. How is that possible when I don't feel I did anything wrong? Mm -hmm. And so he was kind of telling me, no. He's like, you don't need those people in your life. And you don't need anyone that's going to make you feel that way. And he started showing me a new way to live. Mm -hmm. And I started feeling good about myself again. And, and it was just so healing in so many ways. And finding someone that even my dad liked, you know, <laughs> little by little, my dad patched, and, and my dad and I patched things up. And my dad even liked him, which he never liked any boy, he never approved of anybody. But he liked him. And yeah. before he passed, you know, they developed a little relationship. And little by little, I was able to get everything that I needed to get off of my chest out in my memoir. Mm -hmm. And that was the big part of healing and, and continuing to still talk about it. I can't say that there are parts of my life that I don't get choked up about. When I talk sure. about my dad and my emancipation, there are, there's like a lump in my throat. Like I still right. have parts of me because it was so hard. Mm -hmm. It was so hard. It was so lonely. And nobody was able to be there to help me. And I felt helpless. I mean, even just in my surroundings. And, and there were a few people here and there that gave me a little, you know, bit of life mm -hmm. by little nice little things they did. But, but it was really brutal. Um, and I never wished that upon anybody, but I certainly know that now I'm stronger than I ever thought I could be. <laughs> and I use all of these lessons when I speak now and, and I'm able to titrate it down into effective messages and show people that, you can have bad things happen to you in your life, but you can still come out a good person. You can mm -hmm. still overcome them and there's still a lot of life to live and you can be happy. It may take a while, right. but you can get there. And that's my message of hope and my message that, you know, life doesn't have to end with your traumatizing situations or circumstances. You don't have to carry that with you forever. Even though some people would be happy to see you miserable, that's not what it's about. You have to break free from those people that make you feel that way. And with social media nowadays, you know, it's a little more in your face. Right. So you have to know when to hit the delete button. Right. And you have to know <laughs> what to ignore. But we all get sometimes, you know, absorbed in it. And you just as soon as you start getting too absorbed, you got to be like, okay, that's yeah. enough. I got to shut the door because there are people that don't even know you right. that are making comments. Right. Really? You really want to give that too much 
you know attention yeah so you gotta know when to step back know when to to hit delete Mm -hmm. so if you're bold enough to leave (laughs) a comment that's not appropriate that my family my friends my neighbors are gonna see well you may find yourself getting it deleted (laughs) that's awesome um well I think I think it's amazing to see and and having read your book to see just how strong you are now and how much you are thriving and with your own family and with your relationship with Mike and how you're helping other people. Um, and I, another story that you talk about in your book is that you think your life is crazy enough. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You think it, you know, it can't get any crazier and then something happens. I think you were pregnant at the time, um, to again, show you, just how strange life can be. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe you can talk about that. <laughs> just when you think you have it all under control. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. There's a big, dark secret in your life that is about to pop up. Yeah. Nine months pregnant. I'm in the midst of my five final exams at John Carroll University. And I receive a certified letter that changed my life. I mean, I was becoming a mother, losing a father to a very rare eye cancer, gaining a sister and gaining a daughter all the while trying to complete my undergraduate degree. So when I say gaining a sister, literally, I had a long lost sister that I never knew existed that was presented to me in a certified letter, December 10th, 2007. I'll never forget it. It was a gray, rainy kind of morning. I just finished statistics finals at John Carroll and I went to take a quick study break and I had this certified, you know, letter just kind of sitting there Mm -hmm. at my desk waiting to be picked up. So I was like, okay, I mean, who would have sent me a letter now? I'm like, okay, I'm going to go run and get it, and then I'll come back and study. Mm-hmm. Well, little did I know I'd be sitting there in the parking lot tearing open this letter, and there's court documents, there's some photographs, and then there's some legal documents, mm-hmm. and actually a letter. There's three things, so court documents, photographs, and a cleanly typed letter from my whoever this person was going to be. Mm-hmm. This is going to be my long-lost sister, apparently. So I started to shift my attention to the photographs, literally looked like the spitting image of my youngest sister Christina even the way they posed for their prom pictures and the way they did their hair it was almost as if they were twins separated at birth I'm like wait a second this can't be I'm looking this looks like Christina I'm like oh my gosh you know I'm like what could be going on here I shift my attention to the court documents Mm -hmm. and then I see my mother and father's signatures on it and I knew whatever I was about to find out was Mm -hmm. The truth. It wasn't like a fan trying to get closer to me because right. you know I get I'm people sure you get from crazy letters. Yeah, inmates saying, "Oh, I'm gonna be on parole soon. I'd love to come visit you." I'm like, no, "I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Seriously." But um, so I start continue reading, and you know, then I'm like, "Okay, so this is some legal document. This is for real. My parents' signatures are on." Okay, I'm gonna shift my attention to letter and really find out what this mm-hmm. is. Halfway through the letter, I say, um, I read this part, the sentence that says, "My biological last name is Mochianu." And that's it. My heart sank. I knew it. I knew exactly what that meant. It was a long lost sister that shared my same DNA that was given up for adoption. And I never knew it. It was between my youngest sister and me. So Christina and I are eight years apart and Jen would have been six years apart. And people are like, don't you remember your mom being pregnant? In my life, in my world, you can believe that something like this can happen, right? (laughs) My parents, they weren't really acclimated to Western culture. We never had a baby shower for any of the babies in Mm. our family, like ever. I never remember one for Christina. It was just like, oh, it's there and it happens. And there were shades of communist Romania kind of in that decision. They felt they couldn't probably take care of her. And that, you know, when she was born, she had some deformities in her legs Mm -hmm. and they weren't fully developed. So I guess there was a Romanian doctor there that said, look, you know, she's probably going to have some surgery. She's going to need care. I mean, she's going to be growing up without Mm -hmm. legs. So I think it just was more than they could bear as well. My mom never got to hold her baby. So she never even got to really make a decision. It was Mm -hmm. my dad saying, I think this is best. This is what we're going to do. Going to provide her a life that's probably going to be better than what we could give her. And Mm -hmm. they gave her up for adoption. Well, I mean, gosh. It would have been nice if we would have been told. At least to know. Um, and not find out in such a shocking way. I mean, I was very emotional. I was crying for days. Oh, I can't imagine. And I didn't want to go in premature labor. Yeah. I, as, as much as I'd been through already, that was a huge shock, even for me. <laughs> for 
for anybody for anyone but but, but even in wow. my crazy you know life right but I just I was so overcome with emotion I was nine months pregnant I was about to be a mother and then to find out this and I knew now the burden was on me to make it right and mm-hmm. not that it was a burden in a bad way but I had a lot of responsibility with that information right and I was like, I need to be a parent right now. I need to be at peace. I don't want this to adversely, because stress can adversely right, affect your right. pregnancy. And I was scared that that was going to affect it. I was like crying for days. I mean, it, it was almost uncontrollable at times. Um, but I was just like, I can't believe just when I think life is settling <laughs> down that this is going to hit me. Right. And Mike was just beyond belief when he came home from work. I, I was like... <laughs> I don't know what to say. I mean, look at this. This is unbelievable. He was just like, wow, we're going to get through it. We're going to get through it <laughs> in his good old fashioned Mike way. I can see Mike doing that. Yeah. I'd be like, well, <laughs> it'll be all right. You know? I'd be like, fine. Yeah. Everything'll be great. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I go home yeah. and I have to write her a letter of acceptance yeah. because, you know, She's been waiting. She's waiting to know. Yeah. And I thought what a great Christmas present it would be. I sent her a bouquet of flowers Aww. and I wrote her a Christmas card okay. and I said, you're going to be an auntie very soon, but Aww. let me digest basically this information because yeah. it's a lot for me to handle right now. And I don't want to adversely affect my unborn baby, but you're accepted. We didn't know, but we know now my Christina and I, you know, we mm-hmm. accept you. And it was like right before Christmas, she did get it. So it's oh, like, a, I thought it would be a beautiful Christmas present to end the year. Like she'd been looking for us and found us. So I knew that it was up to me to make it right. And I wanted the relationship to start out healthy and mm-hmm. right. And so I was already writing my memoir at this time. And I took a year to just digest and and develop a relationship with mm-hmm. the sisters and not have this be information that got out inappropriately right. like a game of telephone. I was so worried that this would get out into the headlines and be completely like it was when I got emancipated mm-hmm. all over tabloids. I didn't want that. I didn't want it to be an ugly thing. Mm-hmm. I wanted to present the information the way I got it right. accurately. So for three years, I told my sisters, no social media pictures. <laughs> I know it's going to be hard Give for you guys. <laughs> yeah. I was like, do not post anything. And it was like, for them, it was like excruciatingly painful. Sure. And because, you know, Jen had already been waiting and I'm asking her to wait three more years. But but it was the right thing to do. And yeah. she knows this now. And she's like, no, it was the right thing to do. And Christina totally was on board. They were all on board. We mm-hmm. had to talk about it. But it was hard toward the end. They're like, oh, can't wait to tell everybody. I've right. been, you know, waiting for a while. <laughs> and, and Jen's just very open, you know. But in my life, I'm a little more reserved. Like, I'm a little more cautious you with how be, things come out. I have to be. Yeah, right. And I had been out there enough. So I knew how brutal it could be at times. Right. So for me, I was very handling the information with delicacy that it needed. Like, just very delicately. Yeah. Because um, it, it was just important to do that. Mm-hmm. Or else it would have come out the completely wrong way and I didn't want that for our sisterhood I didn't want that for anything so we developed a relationship and then I started writing again about a year later after I took a year off to to develop this relationship and we finally met I had Jen come out to Cleveland you know months later about May of 2008 she got to meet Carmen I was with the stroller and a rose at the (laughs) Cleveland airport waiting for her um and then I remember us doing handstands in the living room with her. Actually, Mike was opening up her, her yeah. arm position. We were like, okay, do it like this. It was so funny. Who does handstands on the first time they visit each other as sisters? It's in your DNA. I yeah, guess. It's exactly. Apparently, it's in our DNA. So we taught her, like, and I credit Mike for all the handstands she does yeah. now is Mike had opened and we had sat in there in that living room and we were kind of teaching her how to open her shoulder line up. And it was so funny because that's our first memory together, like being in our old house in the living room doing that. So it's just funny that now you see all these handstands she's doing everywhere. (laughs) And that was kind of our first memory. So it always makes me kind of smile when I see it because I'm like, I remember the first time we did that. Um, But yeah, and, and now, you know, she's developing into her own life and having launched her career in, in many ways and doing her own thing. She lives in California. Christina's in Texas. She's a new mom. I'm an auntie. <laughs> so we're continuing to work on our relationship. Yeah. I mean, it's very hard to throw someone into your life when you're 26 years old right. and they don't have that history with you. I mean, you're sharing the same DNA, but you're not yet sisters, mm-hmm. but you are. Right. But, but you, you know, there's so many things that you 
don't out know. on or you don't know. Yeah. So we're still constantly learning about each other. And because we don't live in the same city, it's much harder. You're going to mm-hmm. learn about each other at a slower rate yep. because you're always, and you're not talking every day. Mm-hmm. And I always tell my sisters, I don't want to be your social media friend. Okay. <laughs> I'm your sister. Call me, pick up the phone and call me sometime. <laughs> I always have to get on them about that. And I'm like, I'm not just your text buddy. Like, seriously, I know yeah. that's how we communicate these days. And I, I totally do it too. But I want to actually, you know, hear your Talk voice. And see, and now we have FaceTime. And yes. And we can even see each other. Yes, which I it's do that so to see my nephew. But <laughs> it's just funny. I mean, you get into this culture nowadays where you never talk to people anymore. You're just texting yeah. and you're seeing each other on social media. And, and that's fine with certain people in your life. You don't have time for every single person. But... But when it's family, like I expect more. So <laughs> I always get on them about that. They laugh, but that's good. Yeah. What are some of the things, what was it, as far as your healing process goes, what was it like to hear about Jen's childhood? Because I know it was very different from what you experienced. And then to kind of compare and tra- contrast and see, um, you know, it, going through that process as you got to know her. Well, one of my first questions to her was, did you have a good childhood? Because I was so afraid that, maybe she didn't with foster care and adoptive family. You never know. You hear a lot of stories that sometimes aren't positive and then you hear stories that are, so you just don't know. And I didn't know. Mm -hmm. So that was one of my questions and I'd hoped and prayed. I was like, I hope she had a good, cause then she's not carrying that with her. And I didn't want her to carry that with her. Um, And so she said, no, I had an amazing childhood. (laughs) It's how she is so just vibrant and full of personality and bubbly. She's like, I had the most amazing childhood. I was the youngest. I was adopted and I was the only girl, but I had three (laughs) older brothers and, you know, she's animated, but she had an amazing childhood. And and it's kind of like the irony, the juxtaposition of the girl who seemingly had everything, who became an Olympic champion and the girl born without legs actually had the better life. I mean, when you think about that, yeah. it's kind of ironic. It is. Um, she had the better childhood, no doubt, hands down. I mean, amazing childhood. Mm-hmm. And I was happy for her. You know, I was happy that she did because it could have been hard. Right. But that was one of the best gifts my parents gave her is that she was adopted into a loving, awesome family. And, you know, it worked out. Mm-hmm. It worked out for her in the best possible way. Mm-hmm. And And I was where I needed to be for whatever reason I was placed there. And Christina and I were, we were placed there to be who we needed to be. And my parents probably needed us. Because oftentimes I felt like I was an adult Mm -hmm. in in our situation way beyond the years that I needed to be Mm -hmm. when I was really young. And... I think I was there for them too. And, and my parents did their best. Like, I don't blame them. Um, people are like, oh, your parents are bad people. I said, they weren't bad people. My mom is a great person. She just had to deal with her circumstances too. And yeah. my dad, I mean, they're immigrants coming to this country. They had no money. They had hardships. And my mom even slept in a car when she was pregnant with me. I mean, that's real life stuff. Mm-hmm. That's not easy. How many people do you know that slept in a car when they were pregnant? Right. Very few people nowadays. And we have much better situations now. But there are still those situations that happen. And um, my mom and dad went through a lot. And I know that my dad's temper stemmed from his own father being abusive to him. And I realize that now. So I forgave him. I mean, by the end of his life, I, I forgave him and and we made peace and I had to move forward. And I always want him to know, like, you know, look, when he told me, he's like, I was a bad father, like toward the end of his mm-hmm. life when he was really sick, I said, you weren't a bad father. You made bad choices and you hurt us and your temper was bad. I was scared of you from much of my childhood. That's not normal. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't have been that way. But I forgive you. We survived it. We're a family. We may have had our dysfunction, but you know what? We are still a family. Mm-hmm. And I do love you. And I don't want you to leave this world not knowing that I didn't love you. Mm-hmm. Because you never said it to me uh, other than my 21st birthday. Like you never wow. really told me. Yeah. And I, I wanted him to know that. And, you know, to not hear the words until your 21st birthday that your father actually says, I love you. I mean, that was, I was in shock. I was sitting at the gym, wow. at gym world in the parking lot. And I just start <laughs> crying. I'm like, I can't go in the gym. Like, like looking wow. like this, I'm trying to clean. And I honestly, like, I almost can't stop. I can't yeah. stop the tears from coming. And I'm sitting in my car 
And like, now you decide to tell me, <laughs> you know, now I'm 21. I could have heard this earlier, but it's just, just how life is sometimes. Yeah. It works in mysterious ways. And I think if he had to do it over again, he regrets a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't want him to feel bad. And I've been able to move forward. And I know that, you know, wherever he is up there, mm-hmm. that he's proud of where I've come. So, you know, I find peace in that. Absolutely. And it's, it's beautiful to see the way everything has kind of come together. As we, as you look forward, now you have two kids, you Mm -hmm. talked a little bit about your son, Vincent, and he loves gymnastics. I've, I've seen him, (laughs) you know, he seems more dedicated than any other (laughs) little kid in the gym. But, um, how do you use all of your own life experiences and the lessons you've learned and the, um, to, as you move forward and you raise your own kids, you raise your own family, and what advice do you give to other parents? Um, It's funny. I've actually had emails from parents who want to kind of ask for my consulting Mm -hmm. experience and advice. Um, They want me to just, whether it's give advice for their child or give them advice, um, I have been able to just use all of the knowledge that I have, and Mike has too, because he has different knowledge that he brings to the table, and really cultivate our own kind of methods Mm -hmm. and plan for our son. If he wants to pursue this, you know, we're planners. We're like, we like to stay organized and think about things. And and Mike is super like always thinking of the future. And, you know, he's always thinking and I'm thinking and we have a, an attention to detail in our eye, like our what our eyes focus on when it comes to gymnastics. So we can help give our children, honestly, the best experience they possibly can to mm-hmm. be at their best. Um, we have all the resources, all the tools. All our son truly, if he wants to do, is just work very hard. Mm-hmm. And all... And everything else will be in place. We have the knowledge. We have the assistance. We have the plan. We have uh, an idea of how we can get there. So as long as he still shows love and will to do it, mm-hmm. I mean, he's starting to develop an eye. This summer, we really trained his eye mm-hmm. to see things that most kids his age won't see yeah. and to develop it. And it's really cool now at the end of the summer to know, like we put pictures and pictures. Okay, what do you see? He's like, oh yeah, that's that toe is not good. He's like becoming very, you know, attention to detail. Right. He's becoming very attentive. So that is going to help him in the long run, right. especially when so many young kids don't get that development. They don't train the eye because if you don't see What's wrong with that picture? How are you going to change it? You know, coaches right. always tell you, okay, do it again. Oh, you're not listening. Well, <laughs> sometimes they don't know how to do it. Right. You know, they don't know. They don't understand. And they, the coaches get frustrated. I see that sometimes. They're like, oh, I'm telling you a thousand times. Well, sometimes you have to hands-on, put them in it. You have to show them with their eyes visually. Mm-hmm. There's other ways than so just ways telling them. them. Absolutely. And sometimes... In our sport of gymnastics, there's a lot of coaches who don't have that knowledge Mm -hmm. just because they've never really had it or developed it or learned it from anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't see it taught, really. Uh, And a lot of people that I've been around, they don't train the eye. Mm -hmm. So that's something that we worked on this summer. And it's really cool to see where his attention is now Mm -hmm. and what he notices now, even about himself. Like when we'll show him that, like, what what do you think's going on? He's like, oh, yeah, I know. (laughs) You know, so it's good. And and we're doing it in a healthy way. We're doing it in a playful way where he's not going to feel burned out. Like we we don't want him in the gym all the time. Mm -hmm. There are times he needs to be, but we need to be efficient with our time. I don't want him burned out. I don't want them full of injuries. Mm -hmm. So we have to prevent that by our strategy of how are we going to approach this? If Mm -hmm. he's going to do a long term, I don't want him in the gym five days a week right now. So we actually, in the summer, we cut a day out. Mm -hmm. And this year we did the same thing. There's an optional day for a fourth day. We cut that out. Mm -hmm. And so we do other things with him to develop his strength and his speed Mm -hmm. and other things so that it's not only gymnastics, but he's becoming well-rounded in all different things. And that's a key, I think, to the future. Absolutely. And I love what you said too about how, as long as he loves it and he has, it's amazing to see that he is so passionate about it. He obviously has the DNA from both of you. Um, and then the passion for it in this household, but Mm -hmm. to see how much he really does love it is very cool. And, um, 
Yeah, he wanted to, you know, race you up the, the <laughs> rope when we were in the gym and we brought him. He's like, can Julie do this? Can Julie do that? He's like, I can get up there like Julie can. And he's like getting up there. I remember he was showing Probably, off for you. He was definitely beating me. I was too scared to go against him. But. Oh, no, it was so funny. But to see how he is motivated, you got, you know, a firsthand look at to see how he gets in there. And he like, he likes that. Like he right. likes to be pushed and he likes the attention and then he likes to be the best, you know? Right. So it's just kind of funny. I'm like, okay, we're going to ease into it. And oh, it's, right. it's Take our funny. time. And I like how we're looking at it from the long run yes um well you have to, to push too hard too fast y yeah you have to I mean so many coaches don't understand that idea mm -hmm. they don't understand that concept that hey in this sport it's a long race and and doesn't matter if you get to level six states first and because if you burn him out by the time he's 13 that's not gonna matter who cares right. about that if you're keeping the the pace appropriate as you go you turn up the pace later mm -hmm. you don't need to do it now because that's when you the wear and tear on the body of these kids so many of them are not physically even though they do gymnastics they're way physically stronger than a lot of kids their peers mm -hmm. but they need to focus on the fundamentals so much more and and strengthening the body and the flexibility mm -hmm. that's what these formative years really need to be you know worked on and so much of that because everybody gets excited they want to go to the skills and they're not strong enough to do them so right. then they get frustrated because they can't do them and I'm like take a couple steps back and develop the child mm -hmm. But nowadays, all the coaches get so excited. They get a little bit of a talented kid, and they're like, oh, I want to throw them with all the tricks. Right. Well, they have to be prepared. Their body has to be physically prepared to handle the tricks, mm -hmm. or else you're going to get injured. Right. You know, you're not. Right. And, we, yeah, we talked about that earlier with myself going into – I was doing gymnastics in high school, and obviously it, it was more seasonal. I would have times where I was off, and then I'd have to rebuild my strength to get my skills back. Mm -hmm. And then once I started CrossFit, I went back into play in the gym, and it was – all the skills that I had struggled with were so easy because mm -hmm. I had that strength. And so you really do see how important those foundational basics are of just strength and flexibility and, mm -hmm. um, you know, all of the different physical skills. Absolutely. It makes a huge difference. And I see it more and more how important it is. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to end three with three questions. I ask everyone on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, and I did ask Mike these when he was on the podcast about a year ago. I don't, <laughs> okay. I'll have to go back and remember his answers. But um, so the first one is three things you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health. Workout is one of them. My introduction to Yobata, it's mm. yoga and Tabata yoga. Ah, very cool. So it's a cardio form of yoga. Uh -huh. So it's nonstop with very, only 10 seconds of, of really rest. But when you're resting, you're in a hold, whether you're on oh, one arm, okay. you know, or you're in a little handstand hold, like a little crow pose or some, I did that just actually this past week, which I was like so proud of. <laughs> yes. But it's, it's a cardio type of yoga where you're okay. constantly moving. So I love, love, love it. And I've been taking regular yoga and bar. And so mm -hmm. a lot of just changing up my workout routine this year um, has really been awesome for toning. Mm -hmm. And I feel just so much better just working out. So I would say that's something that I regularly do that makes me feel better. Mm -hmm. I probably would say the next thing would be anything with my family. Like we've started doing family walks oh, cool. in the evening. Yeah. And as long as we can, and even when the weather gets, you know, we're doing it with our, everybody, mm -hmm. all of our family disconnects mm -hmm. from social media. We leave our phones behind unless, well, sometimes Mike leaves it just for, <laughs> it, it monitors his Emergencies. steps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And of course, you know, he's on call, so you never know. But, um, so I would say that's something we've been really regularly doing and we love it. I like love every that. night our son's like, we're going to go for a walk. And yeah. it's, it's getting them realizing that fitness is important, but we're doing it as a family because mm -hmm. we could always do it individually. We right. do, but it's a way for our family to bond and connect. And right now, because our daughter is into like art and um, painting mm -hmm. and different things that aren't as physical, mm -hmm. but she's very strong. Mm -hmm. It's just right now her attention is just to school and some of this other stuff. We want to yeah. get her back into skating, which she loved. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just kind of finding the time to get back into it. 
but this is something we can do as a family. Yeah. So family walks, I think, are really phenomenal for family bonding. I love that. And we do a big round all the way around the neighborhood. It takes about 30 minutes. And I would say it's been really, really good for our kids mm -hmm. and good for us. I mean, I look forward to it. I love it. And our kids love it. So at first, I remember our daughter was like not so into it. She was <laughs> I like, could, I was going to say, I could see my sister being like, I'm not going. Yeah. So she was totally like that in the beginning. She threw a little bit of an attitude and I was like, no, you're going. It's a whole family thing. We're going. And she's like, moping in the back. Yeah. <laughs> and then by the second time, she was like. I think I'm kind of liking this. <laughs> By the third time, no problem. She is like loving it. And uh, she's, she's, you know, because she needs that physical fitness too. Yeah, the fresh air. Mm, the yeah. fresh air is awesome. I mean, and the kids, and, and we let Vince ride his bike sometimes. So can okay. I ride my bike? So whether it's a walk or he gets to ride his bike, at least we're doing it together. Mm -hmm. And I really, really love that. And the third thing is I try to, I try to do a devotional every day mm -hmm. that makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. I wake up and I know that, I don't go out just needing other people's approval. Mm -hmm. I need God's approval and I need to make sure that I'm walking in my faith every day and believing that what I do is, is right. And mm -hmm. I just, I've been doing a lot of that and I've been listening to a lot of great messages that really make me feel good and mm -hmm. feel inspired. And anytime that I can feel that in my day, like I want more. Yeah. And I've been doing a lot of that. So that allows me to be grateful. It allows me to um, just view things differently. And as I, you know, become more and more of a speaker, I'm always trying to find good messages mm -hmm. and messaging points. And a lot of it stems from my own experiences. But right. just having these devotionals come into my life and be a part of my life mm -hmm. allows that... Um, just that gratefulness that I think we all sometimes tend to forget in a busy life right. and just remember to be grateful where we are. And it allows me to realize how much I've overcome. And, and those things to me just, it just makes my world better. Mm -hmm. I love that. My next question is one thing that you think would have a big impact on your health, but you have a hard time implementing it. It's something you just struggle to get into your life. But I love my coffee, and it's something that I don't want to live without. It's not a bad thing. So, it's, yeah, I mean, yeah. if that's one of my worst things, <laughs> I think I'm okay. I've learned to balance what I eat, mm -hmm. eat what I want in moderation. I don't overeat in, you know, terrible things. Mm -hmm. I eat what I want in moderation. I don't eat tons of it anymore, you know, because for a while, because I had such a warped body perception, yeah. I was going binging, then I was not eating, then I was taking pills, and then I was taking laxatives, and it was all terrible cycle. Like, like I, I can't believe what I did to my insides because yeah. I just wanted to be lighter on the scale. And if mm -hmm. I didn't take those things, it would help me like lose some water weight, take water pills or whatever I had to do to be skinny and be on the weight that showed mm -hmm. low, lower weight than I had come in. And it was all very bad for me. Luckily, I stopped that a long time ago. And was that part of the, how, how did you start to get past that? Was that part of the, sort of the whole healing process and going back and understanding why some of the things were the way they were? Or was there some other way that you were able to overcome that? Yes, it all started to happen when Mike came in my mm -hmm. life. All that healing started to happen. All the understanding, all the writing, you know, when mm -hmm. I wrote my book, all of that started to really come out and start to really come to the surface. Like, oh, this is why like Mike would never let me do that if he knew that he would <laughs> he would never let me go that direction yeah. but he also allowed me to like explore foods and teach me new foods and mm -hmm. just introduce me to foods I'd never eaten before just to kind of open up my palate mm -hmm. um and I realized that I love sushi a lot yeah. and just different things that I, I never knew um, about. And he's a very adventurous eater. He's every very, time yes. we've gone out to eat, he's always getting the most exotic thing on the menu. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> he's adventurous. And so it was kind of fun because he enjoys eating and yeah. I enjoyed eating. So it was kind of something we bonded over immediately sure. because I always felt self-conscious because I was a girl and I was an athlete, but I could eat a lot. Mm -hmm. And I always felt self-conscious around like if guys yeah. were watching like what I ate like I wasn't just a little salad type of girl I like meat and I like steak and yeah. I wasn't afraid to eat it and obviously when I was first with Mike I was not my complete you know 
great shape. I was a little chubbier and heavier, and he still liked me anyway, so it was good. And we loved our little pizzone pizzas we'd eat together, and we enjoyed and bonded over food. And that was like so refreshing because. I'd never been able to eat so freely with somebody and not feel self-conscious about eating because for so long, everybody was monitoring and watching what I ate at the table. So I became very self-conscious about what I ate in front of who I ate. And, Mm -hmm. and they make you kind of scarred a little bit in that way. But now I, now I'm like, if you're going to judge me for eating a steak, well, have at it. I'm going to have it anyway. (laughs) But it just, it was nice because I finally had a healthy relationship with Mm -hmm. somebody who didn't judge me for what I ate, Mm -hmm. didn't care if I ate. He's like, eat it if you want to eat it. And, um, and he's a fast eater and I'm a fast eater because (laughs) I learned to eat fast because if I didn't get enough in my coaches would be like, that's enough food, put it down. So I had this habit and I didn't realize that I had become a very fast eater. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I was done. I'm like, Oh, you can keep up with me. You know, it's good. It's good. (laughs) It's a good sign. Yeah. But it was, I didn't even know I had developed this eating fast kind of thing and I know that I should savor my food and now I'm like you know much more relaxed but I think for so long I was conditioned right and I think that's what happens when you're hiding food when Mm -hmm. you're binging when you're um, closet eating and all this stuff that you've had problems with food and and just the the relationship with food it's actually a bigger deal than most people realize in gymnastics especially when you've been at the highest levels yeah but we just bonded over food. And I think that helped me heal too. It just mm-hmm. every little bit. I mean, he was there for a lot of the hardships. He was there with my dad when he was dying. He was there when, you know, just when he had to stick up with for me when I did gymnastics as a woman. And mm-hmm. I finally did gymnastics on my own terms. And I got to leave the sport on my own terms somewhat. I mean, there was politics there. He got to coach me and I got to do gymnastics differently as a woman. And I think there was a lot of good to that. There was a lot of healing Mm -hmm. with all of that, with everything. So I would say just my initial relationship with Mike started a lot of healing for me. And he's been a huge stable Mm -hmm. role in my life. From the time that I left home, there was all these people were leaving my life. It was Mm -hmm. so bizarre so strange that there was never stability and then when it came to coach athlete there was never stability and there was never someone sticking up for me fully um people were always afraid Mm -hmm. and he stood up for me when I needed him to he was there for me he wasn't afraid to Mm -hmm. go against the powers that be and he wasn't afraid that someone would say something to him he was like no I'm here for you Mm -hmm. and it was so nice to have a companion that was there for you and supportive of you mm-hmm. and wasn't afraid to stick up for you. I mean, that's a big thing, um, especially through all that I had been through. And I've just forever will be grateful for that. Well, last question is what does a healthy life look like for you? Well, healthy life mm-hmm. obviously now looks, I mean, It looks great where I'm at, (laughs) free from addictions, free from obsessions, a healthy relationship with food, Mm -hmm. the fact that I can eat freely and eat whatever I want. I can exercise regularly and actually want to go Mm -hmm. and really feel good when I go. Mm -hmm. And it's all Mm self-driven. Nobody's making me do this. Nobody's forcing me to eat the way I want to eat. I'm doing it all on my own freedom and free will. And I think that to me shows such a long road that I've come to be able to come to this place in my life where I'm not in an eating disorder situation. I'm not obsessed with food to the Mm -hmm. point where it controls my life. Mm -hmm. I don't have any addictions. I'm, I've come out of things in a really, really healthy way. So I must say that given all the things I've been through, a healthy lifestyle is what I'm living now. And Mm -hmm. that's, it's a great thing to to be able to be free with your food mm-hmm. and free from addiction, but free from, you know, being scared to eat and all of those things. Um, and also having a healthy physical lifestyle, working out, doing things I love, having my kids mm-hmm. see that healthy lifestyle. So they're not ever going to have any issues when it comes to that mm-hmm. because our son is really in tune with his body and he wants to feed it, you know, mm-hmm. the right things. And of course he likes the Werthers and things like that. (laughs) And we let him because they're kids and you want to, you know, you want to give them a good balance of things and just let them know, like that's actually, you know, probably has more sugar than you 
you will need, but you know what? You're a kid. You're allowed to try it. You're allowed to mm -hmm. just, just don't overdo it because you may get a bellyache. Yeah. And, and I think just approaching it in such a simple way has such a better effect on kids than mm -hmm. so much. And eventually, little by little, they're not obsessing over the Twizzlers. You know, mm -hmm. they still love them, but uh, I loved them as a kid too. <laughs> but um, they're not obsessing over it. They're not like, oh, I have to because I feel so withdrawn. Like right. we felt so withdrawn as elite athletes that you feel, you know, like you're missing out on something. So you kind of overdo it later on. Mm -hmm. But that's it. I mean, I'm able to say in a very honest way that I'm living a very healthy and much happier lifestyle than I probably ever have. And, um, I'm very thankful for that. Well, it's beautiful to see. <laughs> and I have to say when I, when I think about your whole life and your whole experience, it is amazing how resilient you have been and to overcome all of the challenges that life has thrown your way. Um, and to really, it's been an honor to be able to connect with you at this point in your life. And I can't wait to see the things that you do in the future too. So for people listening, where can they find out more about you or things that you're up to right now or um, kind of keep track of what you're doing? Well, I'm on all the social media outlets. Mm -hmm. I'm at official Dominique Mochianu for Facebook. I'm at Dominique Mochianu for Instagram, at dmochianu for Twitter. My website is dominique-mochianu.com. And I have a jewelry business, creationsbycnc.com, mm -hmm. that I started. And uh, I really love love doing it. And if anybody wants any jewelry, let me know. Check it out. Yeah. I, she made my wedding jewelry, which is beautiful. So... Thank you for that. Yes, that was a lot of fun. I love doing that stuff and love being creative and having a, a new creative outlet is, mm -hmm. is fun for me. Um, and it's always fun to have accessories. I mean, what girl doesn't like that, sure. right? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again so much for having me. And we'll have to catch up with you again. Yes. Thank you, Julie. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. If you're intrigued by what you heard, I highly recommend checking out Dominique's memoir, Off Balance. It's available in a paper copy as well as audiobook narrated by Dominique herself. And I mean it when I say I couldn't put it down. I think it's a fantastic window into the power of mental strength and resilience and just how possible it is to overcome tremendous obstacles and live a very happy, healthy, and fulfilling life. To make sure you never miss an episode and to receive exclusive content from me, head to my website, juliefouché.com, where you can subscribe to my email list. Also, don't forget to share your stories. If you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please email me at info at juliefouché.com. I'll choose some of these inspiring stories to share here on the podcast in future episodes. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and consider giving the podcast a five-star rating on iTunes. Also, don't forget you can train with me by visiting beyondthewhiteboard.com slash juliefouché. I always love hearing your feedback, so please leave comments under this post on my website, juliefouché.com, and share your thoughts on social media with the hashtag JFHealth. Thank you again so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Pursuing Health. Pursuing Health.